Psalm 58. Do you indeed decree what is right, you gods? Do you judge the children of man uprightly? No, in your hearts you devise wrongs. Your hands deal out violence on earth. The wicked are estranged from the womb. They go astray from birth, speaking lies. They have venom like the venom of a serpent, like the deaf adder that stops its ear so that it does not hear the voice of the charmers or the cunning enchanter. O oh God, break the teeth in their mouths. Tear out the fangs of the long, young lions, O oh Lord. Let them vanish like the water that runs away. When he aims his arrows, let them be blunted. Let them be like the snail that dissolves into slime, like the stillborn child who never sees the sun. Sooner than your pots can feel the heat of thorns, whether green or ablaze, may he sweep them away. The righteous will rejoice when he sees the vengeance. He will bathe his feet in the blood of the wicked. Mankind will say, surely there is a reward for the righteous. Surely there is a God who judges on earth. Let's pray. Father, we come before you today just uh, open for your word. Pray that you would just uh, soften our hearts and open our ears Pray that you would remove distractions right now so that we can hear your word. Pray that you would fill Justin with your Holy Spirit so that his words will be your words. And God, may we leave this place changed. Um, may we not just listen and leave the same, but may we be changed for your glory uh, so that Salt Lake City will know your name and that you will be honored. Um, we ask all these things humbly in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Becca. Thank you, worship team. All right. Psalm 58. We're back at our summer in the Psalms. Uh, before I introduce the Psalms, I just want to say as a way of announcement a few things. One, um, we had an awesome time with kiddos. If you have kiddos and you were at our family water day yesterday, uh, or if you don't have kiddos and you still showed up family water day, it was still awesome and uh, super fun. I just want to thank the, the kids team who put that on, Chris, and uh, several folks who pulled together and really just a great event. Um, we're excited uh, just for how that serves families and even the opportunity we had to build relationships even with folks there at the park and just being able to spend time with one another was very encouraging. Uh, the kids ministries also uh, already prepared another event. So on August 6th, I believe it is, Chris will give you more info at the end. Uh, we're doing Parents Night Out. And so if you got kiddos, great opportunity, bring your kiddos up. They're going to have a good time and a uh, good time for you to kind of get away and spend some time. Uh, they just want to do that to serve you guys. We're thankful for uh, their support and uh, honestly, just great job that they're doing uh, helping with our kids. We are uh, back at our summer in the Psalms. If you've been with us any length of time, you know that we take uh, eight to 10 weeks throughout the summer and, and we spend a significant portion of time every single year walking through the Psalms in a consecutive order. And if you've ever read through the Psalms, there's a few of them that, that, that kind of go from one to the next, but mostly they're, they're kind of standalone. 
And it's a collection, if you will, of like the greatest hits that the early church began to sing. You know, like David's greatest hits. These are the Psalms. David would write these words. Poetry, many of these were songs that were sung in worship. And, uh, and, and so we just decided, hey, uh, if we're going to spend a significant portion of our time walking through these, how do we want to approach that? And we just decided we're going to start in Psalm 1 and go all the way to Psalm 150. And so today we're in Psalm 58, which means we've spent a few years doing this. And uh, Psalm 58 is one, if we weren't forced to do this consecutively, I would probably skip this and move on. And you're like, well, why in the world? Because it's a challenging text. There's a lot in this text that for many of us, we love to avoid. The feelings and emotions that are, that are illustrated in Psalm 58 is one that, if you're kind of like me, I would be better off without, right? Like, I, I, there's, there's many things that are listed here that, that is painful, that, that it would just be better if I didn't have to deal with it, but we have to deal with it. Because today is Psalm 58, next week Psalm 59, and the next week Psalm 60. And we're going to be walking through that for the next several weeks. Let me tell you why the Psalms are beneficial to our life. As maybe just a setup today, we won't do this every week. Uh, but I'm, I'm, I want to kind of give us a, a good uh, understanding of, of why the Psalms are very beneficial. One, they're the inspired word of God. Right? And 2 Timothy chapter 3, 16 through 17 says, All scripture is breathed out by God, and it's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. And Psalm 58 is included in that when it says, All scripture, that includes Psalm 58. And so this scripture that we're going to read today, it is profitable for us in teaching, in reproof, and correction, and training in righteousness, that we may be equipped for every good work. And I believe Psalm 58 will do that for us today. Number two, we want to be an authentic community. And if you've been with us any length of time, we've said these same five things every year. We want to be an authentic community because many of us avoid some of the painful areas of life we don't really want to deal with. And, and this forces us to look at things and go, well, David communicated some of the hardships. I, I remember, in fact, I was just back in Wichita Falls uh, a, a few, uh, probably a month or two ago, and there's a guy in our church there. Um, every time you ask him, how you doing? His response, best day of my life. And I'm like, that's great and all, and I think it's awesome to be hopeful and like, you know, glass half full kind of guy, but the reality is there are some Psalm 58 days in there. And they're not the best days of your life. They're really hard. They're really painful. And for people who are experiencing it, they understand the hardship. And we want to be able to have language to be able to communicate that, that you're able to walk in these back doors, and you're able to walk in and go, you know what, it's, it's, it's really hard. And I wish someone would knock out the teeth of my enemy. And we'd be like, okay, let's get together and pray, Right? It's like, you know, I'm just rejoicing as I bathe my feet in the blood of the wicked. And you're like, okay, you need Jesus, right? Like, we, we're going to be concerned. But these are some of the very things that David communicates in Psalm 58. 
We want to learn how to talk to God. Number three, these are, these are prayers. These are the emotions of the heart being put to paper. Guys like me aren't very good at putting emotions on paper, right? It, it's, it's hard to communicate. And, and I think in many ways, this gives us a language to know how to talk with God. We, we may ask, is that appropriate? Can I say that? Can I really tell God I wish he would knock out the teeth of the wicked? Is that okay? I thought I was supposed to love people. Yeah, we are. Well, how does that, how does that work? I think that's something that we should wrestle with. It's something that we should dive into and figure out how do we talk to God? Number four, the Psalms point us to Jesus. Jesus is the ultimate fulfillment of every Psalm. So when we read this text today, it's only because of Jesus that we are included in the righteous. It's only because of the work of Jesus that we can pray a prayer like David's praying. And so these point us back to Jesus. And lastly, they teach us how to worship. They teach us how to worship. It gives us a deeper understanding of what it means to worship. That's what poetry does, right? It, it communicates something in a way that gives a visual image that allows us to see things maybe in a way that we've never seen them. When you think about walking streets, bathing your feet in the blood of the wicked, that's a visual illustration. You, you sense that, you experience that, and you see that in the midst of that, there is a holy God, a holy God who deserves worship, and a holy God who comes to bring judgment on the world. And that is the God we worship, and that is the God who is bringing judgment, and that is the God who is overall, who desires our obedience and, and moves us to a place, as it says in the very last verse, surely there is a God, and that is the God we worship. One commentator said, you can never reach or expound exhaustively every facet of each psalm. That's the beauty and frustration of the Psalms. One never reaches the bottom of the well from which God's life-giving water flows. There are always new insights to be gained, new moments and understanding to be experienced every time we read the Psalms with an open heart and a mind. And so that's why we're, we're spending time in the Psalms. That's what we, we hope to create in us. A heart that communicates real raw emotions, a heart that fully sees Jesus as the ultimate fulfillment, a heart that desires to be corrected by the truth of Scripture, to be equipped for every good work. These are the things that we desire. And so even right now as we open this text and we read, there may be experiences here in Psalm 58 that you have never experienced. In fact, I, I would bet that very few, if any of us, have experienced what Psalm 58 is describing. But I hope that you see what is not the norm for us is actually the norm for most other Christians in other parts of the world. I'll tell you a story as we begin this morning about the life of a man named Ivan Moiseev. He was a soldier in the Soviet army. He was 18 years old when he was called to serve his two-year duty. He was a Christian, someone who passionately loved Jesus. He was devout. He was very public about his faith in the midst of an atheistic regime. 
He was constantly being brought in before leadership. He was constantly called in to headquarters for what they would call talks, trying to re-educate him, trying to talk him out of his faith in Jesus. And one day as he was headed to the major's office to have another conversation about his faith in Jesus and trying to coerce him, trying to convince him to turn from his faith in Jesus, he was walking along the street and he says, a bright star fell from heaven. It came down, it got closer and closer and bigger and bigger, and what he saw before him was an angel. The angel spoke to him and said this, Ivan, go, don't be afraid, I'm with you. This vision, this encounter, this meeting with this angel, it changed him. It changed him, it transformed him. His eyes were captivated by what was true. The truth of that moment of what that angel spoke to him became his new reality. Moments later, he found himself sitting in front of the major being questioned. He was asked, why are you not learning the correct answers? That was the question. His response, he said, sometimes there's a difference between the correct answers and the true ones. As the conversation continued, the major came to understand that Ivan would not turn and he would subject him to punishment and discipline. So what did the major do? The major ordered Ivan to wear his summer uniform and stand in the street at night, night after night. Now, this may not sound like discipline to us who are living in the desert west, right? Even right now as we sit in this room and some of you are sweating, right? We think to stand in our summer uniform night after night, that, that doesn't sound too terrible, but temps often reach below zero, and many of the nights that he would stand on the street in a summer uniform, it was 13 degrees below zero. These are temperatures many of us have never faced. Would he freeze to death? Would he fold and give in to their demands? Would he survive? These are the questions that really riddled his mind, and over time, he just remembered. He turned back to what is true. He remembered the vision. He remembered the angel speaking to him, go and do not be afraid for I'm with you. Night after night, God sustained him. And he would do that for 12 nights. The major came out at one point. He said, do you plan to stay here all night long? Here's his response. I don't see how anything else is possible. And God is helping me. Ivan checked his hands. They were cold, but not too cold. He could still move his toes easily. He said it was a miracle. And in his time there, as he stood on the street, what did he do? He prayed for other soldiers. He prayed for other officers. He prayed for those in charge of him. He cried out to God on behalf of those around him. And what was he awarded? To be beaten? To be put in refrigerated cells? At one point, if you look at just the absurdness of the punishment, he was, he was placed in a rubber suit in which they would pump air until his chest was so compressed that he couldn't breathe. I, like, it's sick. 
At the age of 20, he was eventually put to death for his faith in Jesus. A nailed coffin was sent to his parents where they demanded it be opened. Authorities said that he had drowned. But when they opened the casket, they saw a man who had been beaten beyond recognition. Six stab wounds around his heart and bruising amidst his whole body. A month previous, Ivan sent a letter to his parents. This is what it said. My dear parents, the Lord has showed the way to me, and I have decided to follow it. I will now have more severe and bigger battles than I've had till now, but I do not fear them. He goes before me. Do not grieve for me, my dear parents. It's because I love Jesus more than myself. I listen to him. Though my body does fear somewhat or does not wish to go through everything, I do this because I do not value my life as much as I value him. And I will not await my own will, but I will follow as the Lord leads. He says, go, and I go. Do not become grieved if this is your son's last letter, because I myself, when I see and hear visions, hear how angels speak and see, I'm even amazed and cannot believe that Ivan, your son, talks with angels. He has had sin and failings, but through sufferings, the Lord has wiped them away, and he does not live as he wishes himself, but as the Lord wishes. See, as Christians in America, we may never face this type of injustice, this type of punishment, this type of discipline, this type of abuse. And that is why Psalm 58 is so helpful for us to read, apply, and understand. Because we don't experience stories like this on the daily. Tim Keller says, most Western Christians haven't experienced much in the way of violent mistreatment. And we should let these psalms help us feel the desperation and helplessness of those who have. We shouldn't close our ears to the cries of the oppressed. And while it may not be our story, it is the story of countless Christians around the world. And like Ivan... They have been captivated by a vision of a holy God who is leading them and pouring out his love to them. They've been captivated by his love for them. They've been captivated by his holiness that they would face injustice because of him. That's what we're seeing in this text. So three points I want to make. The first one is this. And there are three things that I want you to see and understand. One, I want you to see the wickedness of man and the holiness of God. The wickedness of man and the holiness of God. We see this in the first five verses of this passage. David is basically looking at the rulers, at the leaders. He's looking at all of those who have some sort of political power. And he says, do you indeed decree what is right, you gods, little g? 
They're acting as if they're gods. They're acting as if they're in control. They're acting as if they have power. Do you decree what is right? Do you judge the children of man uprightly? And this is basically David asking a rhetorical question, somewhat mocking. He says, no, verse 2. They don't. It's, it's the wickedness of man on display. They don't judge people uprightly. They don't decree what is right. In fact, in your hearts, you devise wrong. Your hands, they deal out violence on earth. The wicked are estranged from the, the womb. They go astray from birth. They speak lies. They have venom like the venom of a serpent. They're basically poison. And like the deaf adder or serpent that stops its ear so that it does not hear the voice of the charmers or of the cunning enchanter. This is a description of the wicked. And before we get too far into this and we, we say, yeah, we hate those people, we need to first realize we are those people. We are the wicked, sinful people that describes in this text, that you and I, we, there's poison. There's poison in our lives. Our hands are dealing out violence. If we look at the brokenness of the world, so many of us live with the reality that the brokenness is outside of us or the brokenness is someone else's fault, and we fail to see that we are actually the cause, that all have sinned. And fall short of the glory of God. Every single one of us have contributed to the brokenness of this world. Every single one of us. We are those people. And God is completely other. I think it's easy for us. And I, I've been walking through a book called The Gospel-Centered Life with some folks. And it's been really helpful and it's always just encouraging to point my mind back to the holiness of God and the sinfulness of man. There is a giant gap between those two things. God is more holy than I can imagine. And I am more sinful than I can ever dream. I think it's easy for many of us to go, I'm not so bad and God isn't that great. And that's the reality that many of us live with. And I think this text really helps us to see the sinfulness of the human heart apart from God's transforming power and the work in the life of a person. We are destructive. We deal out violence. And we are all out to make God something less than he truly is. I love this passage in the sense of, it's saying that these rulers and these leaders, it says that they, like the deaf adder that stops its ear, it's, it's actually describing like a cobra here. And a cobra being tamed. If you've seen, you know, the voice of the charmers, or, you know, you, you see them kind of like tame a cobra, a, a cobra, and this is a, a picture of a snake 
almost like putting its head down towards the ground and taking its tail and sticking it in its ear, not wanting to hear, not wanting to be tamed. And my concern and my question is, is in the world in which we live that is filled with brokenness, that is filled with destruction, how much of the world is taming us? And how much is God's voice being spoken and taming us? When I think about Ivan, Ivan refused to be tamed by the communist army. He refused to give in. His ears were open, but only to the good news of the Father. He refused to be tamed. So what are we to do? We're we're faced with this idea that mankind is more wicked, more sinful than we could ever imagine, and God is far more holy, greater than we could ever dream. What do we do? When we experience injustice like this, when we experience pain and punishment, what do we do? We do what David does. We we pray. And I know that for many of us, we, we may feel like that seems so insignificant. Just to pray, I, I think back this, this last week, and I was asked to, to film a video for a series that Acts 29 Network, our network of churches, is putting out. And it was 12 pitfalls of church planning, things that de- derail churches. And a lot of them are, are things like family issues or character or gifting. And the 12th one, and the one that I needed to give a response to, was just outside opposition. And I think about so often there, when, when we're dealing with certain pitfalls or things that can derail us, like gifting or character or family issues or finances, a lot of those things can be fixed. Like there's something you can do. There's some way in which those are in your control. But these outside forces and even the things that are described here in this text are outside of us. Our enemy is not flesh and blood. But it's the rulers and principalities. It's the evil forces. It's Satan himself. How do we wage war against that? And if you want to ask, what is the significant work that Ecclesia needs to be doing to push back darkness in our city, in our world? What is the, the significant work that Ecclesia needs to be participating in to oppose the opposing forces that are at work against us here in this valley? What are the things that we need to be doing to steer clear of the pitfalls that may derail us as a church, we are to pray. We're to pray. And I think it's, it's if you're anything like me, it, it seems insignificant at times. It seems small. It's that surely there's some heavier work, there's some heavier things to be done There's some significant things that I should move or do, or maybe I should even take up a sword myself. And that's not what the text tells us. 
It's not us who go and crush the wicked. It's God. We are to pray. And that's what David does. David, in a very violent way, says, Oh God, break the teeth in their mouths. How many of us are like, yes, that is my memory verse for the week. I'm, I'm going to write that down. That's going to be my, I'm going to put that to memory. And I'm going to use that this week. As I go in meetings, break the teeth in their mouths. It's basically saying, take away their bite. They might be a snake. They might be a serpent. But all they can do is gum us. Right? They're not going to be able to chew much meat. They're powerless because it's God who comes and knocks out their teeth. Tear out the fangs of the young lions, O oh Lord. It's just like a little kitty cat, right? Tear out their teeth. When he aims his arrows, let them be blunted. They just bounce off of us. Let them be like the snail that dissolves into slime like the stillborn child who never sees the sun. Let them never even be born. Sooner than your pots can fill the heat of thorns, whether green or ablaze, sweep them away. Just remove them from this earth. Now, I'm sure there are people that we would love to reserve that prayer for. But this prayer is specifically to those who are out, who are seeking to harm the beloved children of God. We may look at this text and we go, how is that loving? I thought God is a God of love. Absolutely. He is passionately in love with his children, and he will do everything he can to protect them, even if it means taking some people out. It's a harsh text. But what it reveals is the weakness of man and the power of God. The weakness of man and the power of God. When we come to face these opposing forces, prayer has to be central. We have to be reminded of who is for us. We need to be reminded of the truth that when people are stacked against us, there's someone who is for us. Revelation chapter 6, verse 9 and 10, in case you're like, well, this is just a strange text. Maybe we don't see this other places in Scripture. Well, it says in Revelation chapter 6, it says, When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar of souls those who have been slain for the word of God and for the witness they had borne. These are martyrs for those who have died professing Jesus, loving Jesus, and have died for that proclamation. It says, they cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on earth? They're asking for God's judgment to be poured out. They're asking God to do something. How many of us, when we, when we see the injustices in our world, we, we cry out, God, why don't you do something? 
And the reality is God will. But in the moment, God has been gracious not to bring his justice immediately as a way of love and showing his grace. There are people here in this room that if God were to come right now and judge the world, we would face judgment. It would be our blood that was shed. It would be our blood that is running in the streets. But God has been patient because he desires all to come to saving faith in Jesus. God's patience is a picture of his grace and love for you to turn. Or you too will face judgment. And that's why lastly, this moves us to see the worship of man and the mission of God. The worship of man and the mission of God. The worship of man is, in this verse 10, the righteous will rejoice when he sees the vengeance. He will bathe his feet in the blood of the wicked. If it weren't for Jesus, if it weren't for Jesus come and making us righteous by nailing our sins to the cross, if it weren't for Jesus, it would be our blood that soaks the feet of the righteous. It would be our blood. But because of the blood of Jesus being shed, I stand among the righteous. I stand among the righteous. So what does it do in me? When I look back over this text and I read verses one through five and I go, that's me. I deal out violence. There's poison in my heart. And I might fool people. I might get you to think better of me. But the reality is I am far more sinful than maybe you've ever believed and definitely more than I've ever believed. But yet he considers me righteous. There is a gratefulness in my heart when I see the holiness of God and the sinfulness of man this is the giant gap that Jesus came to fill. Jesus came to pull us out of the depths of our depravity, out of the depths of our sinfulness, out of the wickedness of our heart. He would pursue us. He would pour out his love in us to transform our hearts so that one day we will not face judgment as described in these last few verses. And you know what else it does for me? Not only does it make me grateful, but it motivates me to participate in the mission of God. Because when I stand at my front door, my cul-de-sac, and I look out down the street, I see people I see individuals, I see kids, I see families, I see young professionals that one day God will come to judge. That one day every single person on earth 
will say verse 11, surely there is a God. And that will be good news to some, and that will be bad news to others. The question is, what will we do with Jesus? It's only because of the blood of Jesus that you and I can be considered righteous. May be considered in the few who are walking. And we're not rejoicing over the fact that these lives have been lost. We are rejoicing over the fact that justice has finally been met. But we're rejoicing over the fact that we're with God. As you respond this morning to this text, you may be sitting here and you go, this this experience, this reality that's described here in Psalm 58 is so far from home. And I think as one, I read an article this week, it says, maybe we as Christians in America, we're actually, we're too much at home. We've grown a little too comfortable. In reality, where we're experiencing peace and prosperity, our brothers and sisters are facing punishment and pain. There's many who believe that we're in a season and time where God is sifting out the church. That God is going to see, that God is is working. And the question is, is have you been captivated by a vision of God so great? Have you been captivated by the beauty and goodness and holiness of God that you can withstand the persecution that is to come? This text is meant to give us a picture and window in. It should cause us to really seek to know God in that way. That we would love him and follow him and stick with him and endure and persevere to the end because we've been captivated by his holiness. And that it would cause us to rejoice because we know his saving work that he's done in us. This is what many of our brothers and sisters face around the world. And I want you to hear me say as we think about God, God takes sins very seriously. When you read the the very maybe dark nature of this passage, it's like this really isn't PG, right? Knocking out the teeth of the wicked, walking the streets, bathing our feet in the blood of the wicked, it goes to show how God takes sin very seriously. We won't escape it, church. But he's given us a way out through his son, Jesus Christ. And for that, we are grateful.
Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this text, this picture, this window into a world that isn't our world. Lord, I'm, where, I, where I see and where, where, where we're seeing the greatest movements of God, the greatest harvest, the greatest significant works that you're doing in the world, it's typically in areas of greater persecution. Lord, I just, I pray that you would help me wrestle with that because I long and desire to see a harvest of people coming to faith in Jesus here in the state of Utah. But I, I know, Lord, to do so may mean greater persecution. So I pray and I ask, Lord, that we would be captivated, that we would have a window in to see you the way Ivan saw you. To have such a reality and picture of truth that would cause us to never waver. May we look to you as our only source and comfort. May we look to you as the only source of power. We're weak. We have nothing to combat the evil forces of this world. But you have poured in us the Holy Spirit. And because of that, we have dynamite power living inside of us. So, Lord, I pray that we would go to war against these in the power of your name. That we would go to war against the darkness of the world. We would go to war against the darkness of our own hearts and lives. That you would uproot the sinfulness of our own lives. That you would show us the folly of our sin. That you would show us the deceitfulness and the lies that we believe that you would lead us to contribute to the goodness of the world, that you would use us to contribute to bringing light to a dark place. Lord, empower us to live in that type of way. And Lord, we worship and we sing and we even celebrate here in the Lord's table in just a moment because of the great work that you've done. We're grateful. We're grateful. We are far more sinful, and you are far greater. We could never get to you on our own. It's only because of Jesus, and it's because of Jesus we worship. It's because of Jesus we sing. It's because of Jesus we gather. It's because of Jesus I wake up tomorrow, and I got breath in my lungs, and let me use them to glorify you and proclaim your name and participate in the mission that you have for me. We pray this all in the name of Jesus. Amen.